Welcome. It's the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Matt Marchese, Danielle Franceschi with you. Here all week. And I don't know, it must be something about us being together on the radio, but everybody's winning. Yeah, they're winning the, now. The Leafs are oh, riding a seven-game winning streak. And last night, the Toronto Raptors... A 130-122 victory. Typical NBA game. Over the Indiana Pacers. (laughs) No, it was not an all-star game. Um, And, you know, we talked about it yesterday. There's no total that was too low when the Indiana Pacers were playing in it. That was at 244.5 yesterday. If, If you're a gambling man or any individual that is involved in sports gambling, you like to throw a couple ducats down here and there. I have to imagine, if you just bet the over routinely on Pacers games, you probably are up pretty nicely right now. Yeah. If you've been doing that all season long, there's no total. That's too high. The total was what? 244 and a half yeah. or something yesterday. And I thought, Ooh, maybe like it was getting a little no, bit no, scared. We, no, were com- no, no. we were confident. Totally fine. Yeah. They ended up crushing that total. No I, problem. I had someone text me. Um, my cousin, Mike, who not a big sports guy, um, but does, throw down a few shekels on the odd bet here and there and was listening to the show and, and said, if this doesn't come through, I was like, just relax. And he's texting me like during the game. Like, but don't worry. I was like, take it easy. The Pacers don't know how to defend a yeah. backdoor cut. He said, relax. He, so we had this, we had this thing. Basically you, you break down each quarter and you get the total going into, you know, halftime or mm-hmm. the third quarter or whatever. And then you kind of, if the total is within, like if the betting total is more or less than three points based on what your math says, then you bet accordingly. So I told him this like a couple of years ago. I just said, just trust the math. Generally it, it works out. <laughs> so he's texting me like they're right on 245 because that's what he ended up getting the line at. And I was like, it's going to be over, especially if the game's close. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Oh, yeah. And with that being said, the Raptors get a pizza party. Yeah. The first three game winning streak of the season. And I I find it hard to judge what I saw because on defense, I thought they played a lot, but even though they gave up 122, that was a very, very fast paced game. Like it was very entertaining Mm -hmm. last night, but I thought defensively they were much better than the last time we saw these two teams play. I also thought that the way that they moved the ball on offense was such a key to the success last night. Scotty Barnes, Triple-double, 21 points, 11 assists, 12 boards, and he added five blocks Mm -hmm. in that game. The first Raptor ever with four triple-doubles in a season. Um, But we also saw uh, Jakob Pertl was really good before he got hurt. I thought Kelly Olenek, the numbers will not tell you the night that Kelly Olenek had, but I thought Kelly Olenek was really good in his limited time on the court. I think he played 22 minutes, Mm -hmm. but I thought his presence was felt. The way they can space... The floor yes, when he's big. when he's on is a totally different thing. And the fact that they can play him and Pirtle together a little bit here and there, it gives you a different look that other teams, not a lot of teams played two bigs like that. Not not very often. Not in, well, not yeah, in today's it, game. I mean, not in today's game. That doesn't happen. But what it also illustrates is part of the rationale in going out and acquiring Kelly Olenek is the dichotomy and skill set between the two bigs. 
So they they both provide different looks. Like Pirtle was fantastic. He yesterday. was great. It's really yesterday. a shame that he got hurt because they were plus ten in in the minutes that he was. And I think it was like he ended up with twenty two minutes because he had to exit in the third. But he even had a double double in that short short period of time. Yeah, was, it, felt, it felt like he dominated the boards oh, last man, night. He was unbelievable. I mean, I think he ended up, and I have it in front of me here, but fifteen points, ten boards in twenty two minutes, had a block and four assists as well. He was everywhere like he was so active uh, particularly on the defensive end and on the glass and then you go from one extreme where it's a guy like that who lives inside the painted area does all the work um, within the restricted area rebound finish on the offensive end all those things pick and roll player to the opposite end of the spectrum where you have Kelly Olin coming off the bench and he's a floor spacer and I think that is very difficult to defend as an op- as an as an opponent. How do you game plan and you know you have to adjust and account for two bigs that are playing completely different styles of basketball? Mm-hmm. That has an effect and it's hard because it, it put first off it also puts a lot of strain on your defense because when you have a Linux out there as a floor spacer and a guy that can shoot the three, you have to respect it. It creates endless opportunities to just drive the basketball and get pain touches. And yeah. the Raptors do a great job of that. And then one thing that was a little bit under I thought it was under discussed yesterday uh, as as well as Pirtle played was he his he was excellent defensively on the perimeter yes, like he, he was. was getting switched out and and he normally gets barbecued like he gets destroyed and picked on when he has to get switched out onto a a, a more agile faster and more athletic players on on the perimeter and instead he was he was really really sharp in that regard yesterday so I was a little disappointed that he wasn't able to finish the game because I thought. He he that was one of his better performances of the season, but I do like the the give and take, the little dichotomy between both of the bigs and how they kind of complement each other. It makes it really difficult for the opposing team to guard. And then when you get the other the the new big three or the new core nucleus of this team, when those three guys in in Barnes, Barrett, and Quickly are all going together, now now you're starting to see some signs of hope. Like yeah. they look like it. They're they're fun to watch um, when they're playing the way that they played last night. When they're sharing the ball, being unselfish, uh, making plays on the defensive end of the floor, running in transition, they can be a really fun and dangerous team. And like the Pacers have aspirations of being good. They're seventh in the East after losing last night, but they want to be in that top six mix so that they avoid the play-in, obviously. And that's why they went on a trade for Pascal Siakam. The reality is. The Raptors are capable when they're at their best of playing up against good competition. Like they have that in them. Mm-hmm. It's just can they do it consistently? Yeah. And I guess we'll see. But is this real? Like they're three and zero since the All Star break. How real is this version of the Toronto Raptors? And time will tell. We'll see where we go from here. There's another guy that I thought. By the way, before we get to him, um, R.J. Barrett had 24 last he night. Was, did, did it not feel like a quiet 24 though? You know what? I thought if you so. I, I seen the taking a peek at the box score. I was a little bit. Um, I was blown away that it was only twenty four. Oh, really? I thought See, he I thought, was really good. I thought he was good, but then I look at. I think it's because they moved the ball so well last night, and it really felt like everybody was getting involved. Yeah. When I saw twenty four, and I went, "Wow, he had twenty four. I thought. I I agree. I thought he was really good. But I also thought, I think it's because the offense as a whole looked so fluid mm-hmm. and so consistent, mm-hmm. touch after touch, and and possession after possession that I looked at it and I went, wow, I was kind of surprised that he had 24 because it just felt like the like everybody was involved. You know, when you when you go down the list, 
Scotty Barnes, 21. RJ Barrett, 24. Jakob Pertl, 15. Yep. Emmanuel Quickly, 19. Uh, Gary Trent had 11. Um, the other, this was the guy that I wanted to talk about was Grady <laughs> Dick had 18. And he looked really, there was one play that it was kind of a missed pass. It was near the end of the game and he's running down oh, yeah. the baseline and he makes the touch and pass. he makes the touch pass while perfect. staying in bounds, but he shot the ball really well. Yeah. Like you're now with some added minutes and added responsibility. He did a little, he, you know, as he was going to say, he did a little time in the G league. Um, he, he went down <laughs> like, he, like he was like, incarcerated. Like he was incarcerated yeah. <laughs> um, he went down. He he played a bunch of minutes there, yep. but now with added responsibility, we're starting to see this player really come to the fold and add an element that, like, he's a dangerous three point shooter. Yes. That was that was a big reason why the Raptors drafted him was the shooting the, ability. That was the scouting report. Yeah, hundred percent. But even but even the play um, that kind of alley oop. I think it was was it was it Olenek? I think it was Olenek that tossed it up for him. And it was like a reverse alley oop. Like that's that takes a lot of talent to do that. I think we're starting to see a little bit from Grady Dick, and he's one of those four guys. You and I talked about this last yes. week. In terms of the future of this team, it's how Scotty goes, how quickly goes, how RJ goes, and how Grady Dick. Goes. No question. Uh, we, I think you and I, we kind of touched on it last week when we were just saying, okay, well, coming out of the All Star break, what are the most important things that you need to pay attention? To with the Raptors like what do we need to actually watch for uh, down these the, the stretch of the regular season and at that time it was 27 regular season games remaining coming out of the break and I think it all revolves around those four guys you just want to see consistent continued development that marginal growth every time they're out there and with that the more time that they play together naturally they're going to look more connected and there's going to be a chemistry that is developed and fostered they need that mm -hmm. so I think those are that those four guys are the pillars uh, and of your franchise moving forward. Those are the guys that you're going to continue to build around until you fully understand what they as a group can collectively achieve. Like what what are they? What is Scotty and his ultimate ceiling? Is he a one? Like can he be a one? Can he be the superstar that leads you to your next championship or does he need more support? Does he need to be uh does he need an, an alpha beside him and he can be your number 2? Until we learn these things, all of what the all the decisions that the Raptors make um whether it's offseason, at the draft, it's all centered around how these four guys can play together and and the chemistry that they possess playing alongside one another. That's it. Like that is what we are focused on here is their development. I know everybody's getting a little bit um, antsy right now when it comes to the play-in because they're three and a half games back. They're right there. They're knocking on the door. They're still within striking distance. I get it. I get it. It's exciting. And I think there is value to playing meaningful games, but whether they make it or not, what's more important is just seeing the growth and development of this young team as a whole. And I think that is what I'm most excited about when it comes to what we've seen. And Grady Dick, I, I hey, hand up. I need to I need to admit that maybe I was wrong because I I was I've been very cynical and skeptical about Grady Dick. I was when it was he, because of the draft they suit, wasn't it? No, no, nothing. To, or nothing the fact that he looks like that. the guy who played Jeffrey Dahmer in the Netflix show. That that's that's a oh, that's throw a, good a catch. throw a pair of glasses on him. <laughs> like if Connor McDavid and Grady Dick had a baby, it would be the guy who played Jeffrey Dahmer. Just throw some glasses on him. That's the one. That's hey, I, you know what? Never even uh, never even popped my, into my mind. My brain, but it, it my makes, brain works yeah, very, very weird, weird ways. 
But I can see the parallel. I can see the resemblance. Uh, okay, finish your thought on Grady Dick, because I wanted to ask you something about Scotty Barnes. Sure. My, my, my prevailing thought on Grady Dick is, yes, we're starting to see a more confident player here, and he looks like a player, which is very important. You, the Raptors clearly invested a lot in him. He was a lottery pick. I had... I had some concerns about him coming out of college because, yes, he could shoot the cover off the ball. That was the the main uh, selling feature, if you will, for a guy coming out of Kansas. But there were other elements of his game that required a lot of refinement. Like, he looked very raw athletically, uh, creating space off the dribble, finishing at the rim, defending, all these things that are integral to being a quality NBA player. Yeah. And he started to look like a true NBA player now. And it's evident in... In his production, I think just opportunity-wise, there was one, and I want to say the one play that I think illustrates the growth that we've seen from him, and it might sound dumb to say, but he he had a dunk yesterday where he, I think it was off a baseline cut, and he threw down a two-handed dunk. Mm -hmm. Man, this guy couldn't dunk the ball at the beginning of the season. So for me, clearly there's some physical maturation that's gone on here as well, and he's in a really good place physically, mentally, to where he's confident and he's able to actually be a valuable contributor. The shooting numbers are there, but it's like, Hey, he's appeared in 16 consecutive games. Now he scored in double figures in four of the last six games. You're starting to see what the Raptors were hoping they would get when they drafted him 13th overall. Yeah. I think he was, I thought he was excellent yesterday. And you talk about being able to shoot the cover off the ball um, in today's NBA. That matters. Right? No like, question. It matters. Uh, I mean, you can, there's so many guys that, hey, they come in, they're really good defenders, but you got to be able to shoot a little bit. Yes. And, and the way, like, his his catch and shoot ability is among the best on this team. Mm -hmm. And we saw that last night on a couple of instances. The other thing is, is when he's able to catch and shoot like that, you also put a lot of strain on the defense. Like, you got to get out there. And he has the mental wherewithal to pump fake if he need, we saw we saw a couple of blow bys yesterday. Mm -hmm. Defenders just trying to get out to block his shot, and he's like, "Okay, hold on a second. And he can dribble and drive. Doesn't now, look right? pretty yet, but, no, it doesn't, but, but here's it, the thing: but it works. It, uh, wait until he's able to continue to work on his game and improve in those areas. Yeah, then it's going to make him even more dangerous and more lethal when he can shot fake one dribble into a pull up, shot fake, drive it, get one dribble to the rim. And it's gonna, and it'll look more natural and yeah, fluid, right? It definitely right? doesn't look natural. It right doesn't. Now. It, it's a little bit. It's very wonky. But you know, also Scotty Barnes for the first two plus years of his career suffered a similar, was in a similar situation, and and on top of that, couldn't really shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. So so it, it never looked really fluid from Scotty Barnes um, when it when it would come to his ability to create off the bounce. But yes, I think I think there's I think there's a lot to like there with Grady Dick, and it's encouraging to see him put this stretch together where he's he's having success and um, is obviously earning more minutes, more opportunity, which he's he's taken advantage of. So I think it's it's heck, and he's we talk about the three point shooting. That was the whole reason they drafted him because they they were depleted in that department. They couldn't shoot the ball. This has been an ongoing theme with the Raptors. They've struggled to get any type of perimeter shooting. And they've got a guy here that's, you know, anytime he's played, he's basically hit a three. He's hit a three in nine straight games that he's yeah. appeared in. So, I mean, heck, keep rolling. Keep yeah. rolling. So I wanted to ask you about Scotty Barnes because you talked about him if he's going to be the superstar. Mm -hmm. I want to know your opinion on this. In today's NBA, does the superstar need to be a guy that scores 27 a night? 
Because I don't, I don't know that Scotty's ever going to be that guy, but because he does so many other things well, his distribu- his distribution of the basketball, which we saw last night was excellent mm-hmm. with the 11 assists. What he does, what he, what, I mean, we haven't seen it a ton this year, but he can be a good defender. Yes. Right. We, and we've just, there's some nights where you look at him and go, just, just get out and contest a shot. Don't be lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but does he have to be the guy that scores you 28 a night? Or can he be the guy that contributes all around and still be that focal point of this team? Or do you need a guy, like if he's going to be the superstar, he's got to be a guy that's going to put up 28 a night for you? It's a great question. I think hypothetically it is possible to be the number one option on a team and not average 28 a game, for example, like be amongst the top scoring threats in the NBA. I think it's possible. But if you're going to be a guy that's averaging 22 and let's say you're you're averaging 22 points with, you know, seven assists, nine rebounds, whatever, really solid all around line and you're being a consistent contributor, you probably need other really good players around you. You probably need to have um, an all-star ensemble of talent to accompany what you're providing to your team. That's the way I look at it. If you're a unicorn-type player in today's NBA, the unicorns are the guys that are putting up ridiculous lines almost night in, night out. So I think there's a way around it. There's a way to build your team so that you can win with him as your number one guy. I just think it probably requires the rest of your roster to be really, really good. So for compared so to having like a Giannis, where yes. I think if you surround Giannis with two or three other all-star caliber players, you can probably win. If Scotty's that guy where he's he's, you know, he's not a he's not an overwhelming offensive threat in terms of scoring 30 points every single night, um, then I think you probably are looking at a situation where you got to surround him with guys that are at that similar level or and and better complementary players than what you might get away with if you have a true bona fide like unicorn star on your roster. So for reference, Scotty's averaging 20 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game and 6.1 assists per game. Yeah. Like that's that's a really that's a really good line. For sure. And that's a guy again that contributes all over the court. It's not just hey, you know, I mean I'm not going to say he's not like Giannis. Well, he's not like Giannis. We know that. But Giannis is like you mentioned. He's a unicorn. Yes. He's not he's not Jokic. But you the problem is the Raptors have kind of staked their future yes, on the agreed. on the hope that he can become one of those players. That he can become that type of leader, that type of unicorn. Because they look at every decision they've made. It's all about, well, we're building around Scotty. We're building around Scotty. We're building around Scotty. Okay. But if Scotty doesn't end up being that, then your ceiling is tapped. Like it's it's all it's capped at a certain level. It might be, hey, we're a consistent playoff team in a few years when we've got Scotty and RJ and quickly in the primes of their careers. But are you able to then take that next step further with those guys leading the charge? I don't know. I think that's still to be determined, but it really hinges on what the ceiling of Scotty Barnes is. That's, that's, I think the, the key here is what is he? Cause he flashes it at times where you're like, boy, I can see it. I can really see it. I see him tapping into that, that superstar ceiling, that level of production we get from the top players in the game, but I'm not necessarily certain that it's going to be there consistently. So now okay. they're, they're in an interesting spot with him. Okay. So with Scotty, 
in terms of just his game and breaking down his game, to take that next step to be that offensive superstar, what in your mind is the biggest improvement he needs to make? Is well, it is it just merely he's just got to be a better shooter? Because I feel like that's oversimplifying Scotty Barnes at this point. I, but maybe it's not. I don't I don't know that it's oversimplifying because I think last year there were a couple things that really stood out. One was the shooting without uh, without question, which has gotten better, which has improved dr- dramatically. Like yeah. he's made exponential strides in that area of being a more consistent shooter. He's now a an actual threat from the three point arc. Whereas last year you could sag off him and and you sort of dare him to shoot the ball. Yeah. Now you have to respect it, which is huge. That changes everything for his game. And it was the ability to create his own shot, right? To the ability to to break defenders down, get to the basket, get to different areas of the floor where he feels comfortable creating his own shot. And I think he's made strides in both of those regards um, over the last year or so. This season in particular, like he's looked like a completely different player. I think a lot of it with Scotty Burns is the consistency and almost just really tapping into that alpha mentality. Like when, when the game is on the line or when your team is in a bit of a lull, Hey, don't worry. Get on my back. Mm-hmm. I I understand that now is the time where this is how stars can carry teams in yeah. moments where your your team is struggling or even heck if I'm not finding my offense and this is one of the things he does well. He's a terrific playmaker. It's a great attribute to have. He's very good defensively. Last night he has five blocks. First time a Raptors ever recorded a triple double with five blocks in a game as well. Like there are a lot of things to really like about him. I think some of it is just consistency based. We need to see it. We need to get over some of the some of the you know emotional hurdles, like the the sulking, getting down on himself, just being more consistent and having an even keel approach at all times, and then understanding when you need to be more aggressive as the primary offensive facilitator for your team. That's what I see because I think skill wise he's made strides and it'll continue to improve. But he's there, like he's 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 getting there. He is. He's making a lot of a lot of improvements. Um, so just on the, uh, Jakob situation. So that he injured the same ankle that he hurt earlier in the year. That's what, yes. that's what it sounds like. And he missed 11 games when that happened. That's a massive loss for them. Um, not that they, you know, not that Kelly Olenek can't cover off some of Jakob duties, but like you mentioned, the fact that you can have them both on the court at the same time, playing a different style as two bigs is a, is a big thing for this offense. I wanted to talk about the team under Darko. And how at the beginning, remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about how they struggled offensively. I mean, they struggled everywhere, defensively, offensively. (laughs) It was not pretty. But lately, we've seen the offense kind of turn a corner. How much of that is this group playing under Darko for an extended period? Although it may even be hard to say because there's so many pieces that have moved around. Or is that the answer? Like the guy... The guys that Darko has in the system right now are what works for him. Or maybe it's, you know, Pascal Siakam's not there, so they're not deferring to Pascal as much. Um, OG's not there. Maybe I mean, not that they deferred to OG offensively, but he's not there. So, you know, it's almost like that. I've got a veteran guy here. I'm going to defer to him. And a lot of uh, there's a lot of younger guys that have that tendency. Now everybody's young. And maybe that is part and parcel for why this team has had success because it's about... What makes the most sense, not this guy's the veteran guy, I'm going to defer to him. I think it's easier to mold young players. So from a coaching standpoint, he steps into a situation where he's got 
a veteran leader, his best player being Pascal Siakam, a guy that's been in the league, is established. It's hard. It's hard to say, okay, Pascal, we're going to cut down on your touches, right? Like we're going to go and and we're going to run this style of offense that is going to make you a secondary tertiary option as opposed to being the primary option on every single offensive set that you become accustomed to having that responsibility playing under Nick Nurse. And then on top of that, you've got another established player in OG Ananobi who was eager to have a an expanded offensive role with Fred Van Vliet out of the picture. So now you've got, look, this this core has been completely flipped on its head within the span of what? Three, three weeks, a month? Yeah, and even if we go back to like, the, if we're saying from October onwards, yeah. Darko's first season, it's what, f- uh, what is that, four or five months that he's been in charge here effectively, and it's a completely different core within the span of 57 games. That's pretty wild if you think about it. Yeah. But I think from his, from, from his standpoint, it's actually probably a little bit easier having young players because you can mold them and find a style that works. You can experiment and try different things in a bit of a lower leverage situation and environment to where they're going to be more receptive to, because they want to prove themselves. Like they Mm -hmm. want to prove their worth. So I think they're going to be more receptive to those things. And a perfect example, Maddie, there was one play in particular, I recall, in I think the third quarter coming out of a timeout. First of all, I thought Darko coached a terrific game yesterday. Like he was really good. Substitution patterns were great. All his after timeout plays were excellent. Like he was, he was dialed yesterday. And, there was one specific play coming out of a timeout where they they ran a bit of a horns action into a flex, which is just a, a screen, a down, not a down screen. It's essentially they they got the ball to RJ and they had Scotty uh, Scotty Barnes, I think, set a back screen in the in the weak side corner, and it got an easy layup. And mm-hmm. and there are just simple little things like that that help stabilize your team and get your offense back in in rhythm. That that's coaching. And he's done a really good job. And I think it's easier when you have young players because they're going to buy in. Like, they're going to buy in. It's harder to sell that to Siakam. Yeah. Right? When you've been averaging 28 a game and you've been getting 20 shots and now you're sitting there and they're like, okay, well, Pascal, you're in the last year of your deal and we want you to shoot it a little bit less and you're not going to have the ball in your hands as much. It's a tough sell. Yeah. I, by the way, I love when you nerd out on coaching things because I do the same thing with hockey stuff. Yeah. Like you could see the passion. I love that. I love like, and there are some people that it's like, you're, you're speaking in a different language, but I get it. I, I get like nerd. So I, I appreciate um, what you saw yesterday with Darko, because that was also something that they had noted on the broadcast as well. Like just mm-hmm. what a great game that, that he had coached. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention on the other side of the basketball, the night that Benedict Matherin had. Oh, 34 points, nine rebounds, six assists. And to see, it's part of a larger conversation, but to see the growth of Canadian basketball. And when you look at the potential for this team, when healthy, when you talk about Jamal Murray, when you talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, RJ Barrett, Matherin, and you can go down the list. Like, this is no disrespect to the guys that play, you know, in Europe and, you know, and not in the NBA or maybe they play in China or, or wherever and, and it doesn't matter. Point being is that the amount of talent in the NBA that Canada is producing and producing often is so impressive. Um, but just to see like what the ceiling could be for this team and you talk about the star power, like SGA is among the two or three oh, yeah. top betting candidates, uh, betting mm-hmm. um, odds for MVP. And he's played at that level. We saw it in the summer 
when, uh, you know, when he put team Canada on his back essentially, and even led them, you know, to a victory over the U S for the bronze medal. I mean, to look forward to the Olympics with this team is like, because that's the one that guys will say, okay, I'm going. It's not like playing in these FIBA tournaments where for some and not for all, but for some, it's like, ah, uh, you know, I, I tweak something where like Jamal Murray probably would have played, but if that it was, was a, if it was the Olympics, he would yeah, have played, but it was a long season. So I understand why he didn't play there, but if it's the Olympics, he's going to be, you don't miss out on that because, oh, uh, you know, I had a, had a long season and yeah, you know, we just won an NBA championship. No, no, no. That's not happening for the mm-hmm. Olympics. And that's why I'm really curious to see the roster construction of this team for the Olympics because I do believe that there are going to be a couple of guys that are not NBA players that are going to be on this roster. That is almost a tip of the cap to the guys that help get them there. But the stars are going to be the stars. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what this roster could look like at full strength. I agree. Uh, I couldn't help myself watching Matherin just cook yesterday he was so good (laughs) he was was so good even even his even shooting from distance like it just looks so comfortable for him like lights out yesterday on a night where Tyrese Halliburton was not good no he was he was yeah it was a rough night for Halliburton uh Siakam was really good but Matherin the shot making ability just off the charts man like we're talking about late shot clock situations where the clock is down and they're they're struggling to to generate any offense. It just goes right to his hands and he's able to create something. And there were so many possessions that ended with him hitting a tough contested three or mid-range jumper at the tail end of the clock that had no business of resulting in any positive offense. It was all him just generating offense by himself. It made me hope of like, I couldn't help but sit there and be gleeful about the, wealth of talent that the Canadian men's program currently has. And I was thinking, boy, he looked pretty nice <laughs> coming off the bench for team no Canada kidding. in the Olympics. Right? Like it's, it's, and even it's great that we've gotten to a point where let's look at that game yesterday in a silo by itself. I can recall 10, 15 years ago when we used to celebrate games that had more than one Canadian involved. Maddie yesterday we had four, Guys, four Canadian players who were logging meaningful minutes playing as starters or key rotation players in an NBA game last night mm-hmm. with the Toronto Raptors and Indiana Pacers. On the Raptors side, you had Olenek, you had Barrett, of course. You even have Chris Boucher who didn't get in and is out of the rotation. That's more of a developmental thing with a focus on the young guys. Pacers, of course, we just talked about Matherin. Andrew Nemhard is in that equation as mm-hmm. well, a guy that should be on the radar for for potentially earning a spot on that Olympic team. It's really cool that we've reached a point where we can turn on an NBA game and it's it's a it doesn't cross our mind that it, it it's like it's oh not wow a, there's a Canadian play. It's yeah, not a, it's not, it's a, not big a novel thing. concept. Yeah, yeah. Right? It it feels natural and yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's it was good last night. I mean, you'd like to see him have success. You're like, "Okay, just Hit a couple of less shots, make this one a little <laughs> less interesting. Uh, but certainly uh, a very good performance by the Canadian and the Montreal native. Something about playing. That was the most points by a Canadian against the Toronto mm-hmm. Raptors last night, mm-hmm. which I was thinking about. I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Although, I mean, I feel like Jamal Murray is hurt every time the Nuggets play the Raptors in Toronto or, or even in Denver, but that's another thing. Montreal also produces a lot of terrific players, by the way. They do. For, they for do. Uh, and It's a more of a... 
it's more of a secular kind of basketball culture out there, right? Like they're Canadian, but they're doing their own thing. It's weird. Like the GTA gets a lot of love, obviously, but Montreal is the next biggest hotbed. Like yeah. they produce a ton of really good players out there. Yeah. Imagine uh, the NBA having a team in Montreal and Major League Baseball having a team in Vancouver. Crazy. Yeah, it's the it's it's the mul- it's the multiverse that we live in. A <laughs> uh, couple a couple of things just to take care of before we take a break here. The text line is open 590, 590, Name and location. There's one um t- there's one text that I would like to get to. It's oh, one of those, and not right now, but maybe a little bit later. Um, it's one of those when you look at the time that it was sent. It was not sent during our show. It was sent at like eleven fifty last night. Mm-hmm. Don't drunk text the station. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't include their name and location, but don't drunk text the station. That's a bad idea. Uh, also, there's a poll question that we have out regarding the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, what do you want to see Brad Living do at the trade deadline? Big splash, around the edges, or let it ride? Um, you can check that one out at MaddieMar89. You can also follow Daniele at Daniele underscore media. Uh, when we come back, some Blue Jays talk. We're going to do up our power rankings on five most important Blue Jays this season. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. Text line's open. 590, 590. Name and location. Don't be a coward. (laughs) Here's the thing. This is what people don't understand. Like, you could put a fake name. I love how you just call people a... You just just go, you'll call out all the cowards. You do not care. It's the same thing on, on Twitter. Like for all these people that talk, do you know how many people I've had that say like you're ugly or you have gray in your beard? It's like, buddy, your picture is of a cartoon goat. Like get lost. <laughs> and it's not even your real name that's on there. I, I just, I, I respond with kindness for the most part. I, I try not to I, engage. Did, I just say thank you. I did get it. I did get into it with someone you last did? night, but it, yes. but it was more like I was really just kind of, you know, needling, poking yeah, a little you're bit needling and prodding. A little bit. You saw it. I should have taken you out of it, but I'm like, oh, maybe Daniele needs to see this. Daniele's too nice. <laughs> he needs to be jaded by the industry a little bit. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter X, whatever the hell we're calling it this week. Uh, I will. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I will never call it X. It will be Twitter forever. Uh, at MaddieMar89, at Daniele underscore media. Okay, so the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday, they get their first win Woo! of spring training. Victory. Let's Sweet start victory. the parade. Yes. Well done. Start the parade. Um, but we did see a couple of things that were positive. Um, I watched the whole game yesterday, which was, uh, I didn't expect to see as many of the big league pitchers as we did. All of them were big leaguers that pitched yesterday. We mm-hmm. saw, uh, where's my list here? We saw you say Kikuchi start. He goes two shutout innings. Chris Bassick follows him. He goes two shutout innings. Jordan Romano goes three up, three down. And then we saw uh, Tim Meza. We saw Chad Green was Chad in Green in between there. Yeah. Yep. We saw um, uh, Jimmy Garcia. Yep. He and, had a rough go. Yes, he did. Yep. He was. But again, like, uh, it's what, the first what, outing. What, I, I know. Whatever. Um, and Yanis Cabrera was the other one Correct. to round things yep. up. 
it was it was good. We got to see Vladdy yesterday. He gets a hit in his first great. at bat. I was happy to see Vladdy. We saw Bo lead off yesterday. It was a it was very much a major league looking lineup for the first six batters. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was well. I mean, I guess you could. IKF, I guess, was hitting seventh yesterday. So it was a very major league lineup that we saw yesterday, and they get the win over the Pirates. Um, we did hear from Blue Jays manager John Schneider during the broadcast, and a, a few things that we want to focus on here. We'll start off with this one. Um, we talked about coming into the season with expectations with Ben Schulman yesterday, and it, it, last year it felt like expectations were sky high. Mm-hmm. They go on, they win sure. 89 games, they get into the playoffs, they lose to the Twins, which, I mean, you feel like they probably should have won that series, but well, offensively challenged yeah. yet again. It's disappointment, for sure. But we also talked about, like, what are the expectations coming into this year where everybody's doubting them and, and you know, what is the vibe, you know, at tra- at spring training right now? Here's, mm-hmm. jo- here's John Schneider uh, on the broadcast with Ben and Buck yesterday talking about the differences from this year and last year. Yeah, you know, I think last year you come in and you want to kind of set the tone and, and kind of, you know, really work on things that you thought were going to set you apart from the year before. And I think the biggest difference this year is guys, you know, guys came in ready to compete. Not that they didn't last year, but I think having our main guys, whether it's Bo, Vlad, or George, you know, Gauze, Barrios, these guys that have been here, they're really kind of setting the tone you know I kind of went out of my way today this morning to, to let them know I appreciate the effort whether it's defensive stuff or, or on the bases so um, they've really kind of set the tone you know the the main thing we're wor- worrying about is is how we're going to win you know I think that last year kind of attention to detail was was a main theme and I thought we did some really good things with that last year and uh, you know, left some outs on the bases probably. So, you know, just continuing to talk about those things, but having the having the main guys really drive it home has been the biggest difference. By the way, that was, first of all, that was great. that boy Schneid draws yeah. a walk. It's great to know that he actually <laughs> likes David Schneider because there was a conspiracy theory all of last year. I was fronting it. That boy, if only you could... A poor guy. I mean, remember, if you recall, Matty, he comes out and he, he gets, after being called up to the big league roster, goes to Boston, right? Has his... That incredible debut weekend. Oh, yeah. Right? Has a little bit. Babe Schneider. Hits a little bit of a lull, and then we didn't see him for like 10 days in a row. Because he couldn't hit the high fastball. No, that's BS. (laughs) Yeah, Kevin Biggio is in the lineup every day doing absolutely nothing. Daniele is not fired up at 644 in the Goodness me. And then finally, because because the offense was so dormant, he eventually was like, oh, I guess I got a pencil 36 yeah, back I, in there. I, I felt- would think that's a good idea, John. <laughs> and sure enough, guess what? Davis was pretty decent. Yeah, it turns out he turns out he can hit major league pitching. Um, I do like what he pointed out there because there is something to be said about, especially for Vladdy and Bo, who we will touch on just shortly uh, here. But I, I was, I'm really intrigued to see how this thing goes. With those guys, because mm-hmm. I mean, this is a big year for both of them, and we'll get into this with our power rankings. We got a couple more clips, but we'll, we have Shy Davidi on in the in the next block, so we'll play a couple before we get to Shy in the next block because I do want to get to these power rankings. But it's a big year for these guys, Vladdy specifically. Like I, you know what? Let's get into the power rankings, and then we can sure. kind of then we can kind of have this conversation about expectations and stuff like that. Who did you have? Do you want to start at five 
Yeah, five. And work our way down? Yes. As if we're doing the draft lottery here? Yes. Okay, uh, who is your number five? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Ooh, okay, I had him I had him higher. I know you did. I, I Logically, I had that. No, <laughs> but here's why. For me, it's very simple. There are, A, for obvious reasons, he's on this list. He's one of their most important players. We know that because inevitably they need his offense in order to help improve the offense of the team as a whole. Yeah. But here's the thing. Vladdy's baseline is better than most. So he can close his eyes, literally walk up to the plate, and he'll hit 20 homers and drive in 90-plus runs in his sleep. He can hit 260. That sounds like William sleep. Nylander. So why are you not as hard on Vladdy as you are on William Nylander? No, no. Who said I wasn't hard okay, on Vlad? All right. I'm just making sure. Who, who said I wasn't hard on <laughs> Vlad? But he, what's frustrating about Vlad is watching him. When you See, the numbers are deceiving with Vlad because you watch his at-bats and you're like, God, this guy just doesn't get it, man. How many times are you going to swing at the first pitch and roll over to shortstop or third base? How many times until you actually have a better plan of attack when you step in the box? And yet at the end of the season, what were his numbers? He had 26 homers and like 90-something RBI. Yeah. And you're thinking, geez, I mean, you know how many major league teams would sign up for that production in their lineup? Yeah. That's what's so frustrating about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But, but is the frustration because you, because you know. Because his ceiling you, is because you can Yeah, because you expect right? better. Is he 20, is, is 2021 Vladdy that everybody points to where he finishes the MVP runner-up is that, should that be the expectation? No, absolutely not. Because maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe that's the peak of Vladdy's powers. Maybe that is, that might be the apex of what he is capable of. But the frustrating part is we know that's in him. And that's why it's, it's, it becomes difficult when you sit there and you watch him where he goes through these stretches weeks on end where he'll only have a handful of extra base hits and he'll be, you know, hitting for below a 200 average or whatever, but he does just enough. Like he does just enough he, to still be valuable. He's like a good golf shot. Just keeps you once you hit one, you keep coming back for more. It's like a sucker. Yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> call him a sucker, but yeah, no, that no, but we're the yes. suckers. We're the, no, no. Yes. We're the suckers. It's it's the hope that kills you, right? And you see, and when you watch him, you all you see is tons of hope. Yeah, because he's been heralded as this can't miss prospect for like seven years, right? Before we ever laid eyes on him in a, in a major league uniform yeah. in a major league environment. So there was all this hype and all this hoopla, and I don't want to say that he hasn't delivered, but it hasn't met the expectation of what everybody expected to see when he first arrived and put on the Blue Jays uniform. That, that's a, such a dangerous thing, too, is expectation for young kids. It's crazy. It's like the the, the pressure the, that we put on him was Can insane. I ask you a question? Yeah. In in recent memory, and maybe maybe you'll have a different answer than I would, who is the biggest victim of, of exceedingly high expectations? Who is like a, a young prospect in any sport, player, whomever, that had... The highest of high expectations. Oh, like it's, it's, it's to me, I have an easy answer. Who's that? Well, you go, you go. No, first. no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, I want to hear yours. Uh, Vladdy's probably like off the top of my head. He would be close to the top because Hall of Fame father. We talked yeah. about all of these, you know, intangibles that he had. Uh, he was the savior of the. He was going to be the savior of the franchise. Yes, mm. my answer from a different sport. And I don't think I really don't Andrew think Andrew Wiggins would be another yes, one. That's, LeBron that's James, the one yeah. for me. The LeBron Maddie, he James. was on he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated before he ever played a college game. Yeah. On yeah. the cover, yeah. heralded as the next LeBron before he ever played 
a college game yeah, for the Kansas Yeah, you're talking about comparing Jayhawks. to the, uh, one of the top two best players yeah, exactly. of all time. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that's and, and you know what? It's how now it's it's Jay, it's created a warped view of how we frame his career. I agree. Because of that. He's had a fine career, but guess what? Because he was on the face of the cover of Sports Illustrated, the face of Canadian basketball, the next generation, the future, the savior, all these things, we now have a certain view of him. Yeah. And and it's it's tainted his entire career. It's followed him. Okay, so for the powerings, I did most important for this season. Yeah, so did I. Okay. Yeah. So I have number five, Jose Barrios. Okay. And here's why. So bounced back in a big way last year was one of the most consistent Blue Jays performers after was the most questionable and interesting seasons that I've ever seen in 2022 where he was literally great or horrible. There was no real in between for him. Here's the reason why I have him where I do. I do not have Kevin Gosman or Chris Bassett on this list. And here's the reason why I know what I'm getting from them. Or at least I, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm getting from them. I think if you say Kikuchi turns into a pumpkin again, which I don't think he's going to because it's a free agent here, um, and Alec Manoa is is good again, they kind of cancel each other out. Jose Barrios is the guy that's like kind of right in the middle where I think I know what I'm going to get, but he has the upside that's higher than Chris Bassett. I wouldn't say it's as high as Gosman's or Manoa's, but it's pretty close. Like, he can be that ace for you. To me, he's so important because he's the guy that I'm still kind of unsure about, whereas I know I've got two guys that are going to go out and, and pitch pretty much six innings every night, and that's Gosman and Bassett. On the other side, Manoa and Kikuchi, it's like, okay, I think Manoa is going to be good. I think Kikuchi is going to be good, but they can cancel each other out. And Barrios is the guy that can really make this thing go one way or another for me. Good rationale. I like that a lot. Okay. So uh, let's do number, because we got to yep. kind of roll it. Uh, no. Who'd you have number four? Bo Bichette. It's Bo's team. Uh, he's taken on more of a leadership role. We, we've come to, we, we know what Bo's going to give us. Like he's arguably the most consistent hitter that the, this franchise has had since he's stepped foot on a major league field. And I think, on top of that, he's going to have to be the fulcrum of this offense because he is their most consistent hitter. So to me, a lot of what they do offensively is going to be driven by Bo, whether he's hitting second in the order or or I would like to see him potentially in cleanup because he's probably their best overall hitter. Um, I think he's integral to whatever the ceiling of this team might be. And the fact that he's trying to take on, take more ownership as a leader, I think shows that he's eager to, he's eager to have another monster season. So I think Bo for me, number four, uh, I've got Alec Manoa at number four. Yep. And the reason is, uh, listen, we know what happened last year. It wasn't pretty. It does feel like to me, when I look at the, the entirety of the career and obviously it's, it's two and a half seasons, but I feel like he's closer to the guy that we saw the first year and a half rather than what we saw last year. Um, and there's, you know, Chris Bassett, and we, we're not gonna be able to get to it right now, but Chris Bassett talked about like the improvements that he's mm-hmm. seen in him. Mm-hmm. And again, he can be another one of those guys that if if he pitches well, it helps the offense and and takes a little bit of pressure off of that offense. Who do you have at number three? Kevin Gosman. Every good team needs an ace and He's been remarkably consistent and healthy since he's joined the Blue Jays. So if the Blue Jays are going to be any good, and in that respect, I mean 89 wins or higher again this year, that guy's going to have to not necessarily replicate what he did last year being a Cy Young finalist, but he's going to have to be an ace frontline level guy. So I think he's, again, 
pivotal to being the the actual like linchpin of the rotation for the Toronto Blue Jays. I've got Alejandro Kirk at yeah, number I love, three. I love Kirky. Uh, defensively, not an issue. Offensively, um, it was ground balls, double plays, seemingly all year. He's got, you know, um, it, it just felt like a never-ending cycle for him last year, and that he just could not yeah. get going. There was a stretch where, like, okay, maybe he's figured it out, and then it's like right back into the pooper again. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, this is this is not going well. Here's a couple things. One, he's going to get a, a full spring training here. Here's another thing, and I know people will scoff at this, he had a newborn last year. Your sleeping habits when you have a newborn are not fun. And it's totally all over the place. And they're like, oh, what? this guy's got money. And he I can, think Kirk, he lives people, a different life, though. <laughs> I, he does, but you're still a parent at the end of the sure. day. Like, you don't have, like, yeah. a, maybe they do have a nanny that wakes up with the kid. I don't know. But, I mean, maybe they don't. And I know that that, play, that takes a toll on people. So, that to me is like, okay, kid's a, a, a year old now. He's, you know, even though they're still a pain at a year old. <laughs> <laughs> the sleeping habits hopefully are better. Like there's a lot that goes into that, but it's not a, full, a huge a lifestyle shift. Yeah. Like, think full, about it. Yeah. A full spring training will do him good. Let's roll through these uh, next okay. two. Who do you have as number two? Manoa. Number okay. two. Uh, big swing piece for the rotation. Yep. Right. If 100%. he's great, then it's an added bonus. And I don't think the rotation as a whole is going to be as healthy. So therefore I, I would say Alec Manoa is an incredibly important piece for the blue Jays. I've got Bo Bichette at number two. Nice. I know what I'm getting from Bo seemingly night in and night out. There was a stretch where he was the best hitter on the planet last year. And that was yep. not in question a stretch, not over the course of the season, but a stretch. And so I know what I'm going to get. And the reason why I don't have him at number one is because I know what I'm going to get from him. Who's your number one, George Springer. Wow. Okay. George Springer. You know, set the thir- table. 34 years old. He is now once again the unquestioned leadoff hitter. There's no Whit Merrifield to try and take that position away from him. He's got that job locked and loaded, going to be atop the order. They need him desperately to be, at the very least, more consistent than what he was last year. The production can still end up netting out the same, but he's got to be more consistent. He can't have a stretch, and I wrote it down. He had a stretch where he was one for 34 last year, yeah, if you recall. Good. You can't have that happen. No. And what is it? Is he going to be this diminishing asset, or he's gonna? is he going to be able to reinvent himself and find a way to stay relevant and still be a productive hitter? I'm very curious. And, and if he's good, it changes the complexion of the lineup. Yeah. I got Vladdy as number one. Like I said, a, it's a big season for him from a contract perspective. He still feels like he has a lot to prove, which is weird considering what he's done. But he again, it's he about does. the expectations. Yeah. There's a lot to prove. And the thing is, like I said, I think I know what I'm getting from Bo. To me, Vladdy is kind of the X factor of this offense because if he can get going, it takes a little bit of pressure off Bo, and then it does feel like he can be the guy that takes this offense to an, another level, which they desperately need after what happened last year. Because again, we don't think that the pitching staff is going to be um, as healthy as they were last year. So a lot of differing factors here. So there's our power rankings. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to play some clips. Uh, John Schneider talking about, Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero. Maybe we'll get to the Chris Bassett stuff. And Shai Davidi will join us from Dunedin. We'll talk about the Jays, what we saw yesterday. We'll get his power rankings of his top five and a couple of other things that we want to chat with him about. That's all coming up. Uh, you're listening to the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.